Go ahead and have a seat. I'm sure you're like, oh, why is he up there? <laughs> um, you know, let's be honest. Many of you are bummed. I'm not a skinny, bald dude with exuberant passion this morning, right? Let's be honest again. Thanks, I have never heard that. <laughs> Thanks, let's be honest again. I am just as bummed that he's not up here. <clears throat> you know, in being asked, or better yet, told by Frank that I would be preaching, it scared me to death. You know, my comfort zone is in song, right? That's when, when I'm up here, I'm singing, and that's where my comfort is. So I thought this morning, I'd just sing the message. Think you're good with that? <laughs> so open your Bible to Acts. Awkward, not going to do it. No, 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 no. So here we are. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited about what God um, has brought to my mind and the reality that it's coming to my life. And, um, and I'm excited to share it with you this morning. Am I polished? Nope. Am I nervous? Petrified. But do I serve a God who can speak through me? I do. So let's pray. Lord, um, this morning, it's about nothing other than you. And so, Lord, I pray that the words that I speak that they would be you speaking through me to this congregation. Lord, change me. You've changed me in this, but change me even more and change this group of people here this morning that we would be more like you as we walk out this door. Lord, that's the goal, that we would become more like Christ today. And so, Lord, help me be confident and give me the ability to go through my nerves and walk through this. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, Frank and I, when he was hired, about a few weeks after, he flew out, and, um, and we went to the beach together for, for a couple days, and we were dreaming and strategizing and getting to know each other. It was fun. It was also awkward at times, right? It's a new relationship. Um, but as we were dreaming about the What If series in Acts, he asked me, was there a passage in Acts that was speaking to me? And, you know, I thought about it, and I thought, wow, that's an interesting question. Yeah, Acts 1, 12 to 26. Man, I had no clue I'd be standing here today preaching that to you. So let's jump right in, all right? So let's, let's talk about where we left off last week. So last time, the disciples and that group of people had just seen the ascension. They had just seen Jesus going up into the clouds into heaven, right? That is crazy. They, they um, not only that, let's not forget about um, how much of a traumatic, stressful, exciting, crazy times they had had in the last few months. They had the Last Supper, where Jesus foretold of a betrayal. They watched as Jesus was accused, beaten, tortured, ridiculed, he hung on a cross. They watched him die. They went through emotions of every kind. They probably trusted. They probably doubted. They hid. They denied Christ. They probably lost hope. Fast forward 
they now saw the resurrected Jesus. They experienced him from time to time over the last 40 days. And now they just witnessed him going up into the clouds into heaven. Talk about a crazy few months. That's intense and insanity I don't think I've walked through. (laughs) And I can picture them now, mouths wide open, saying, what now? You know, it's a question that went through their heads, I'm sure. And let's be honest, it's a question that we go through all the time. You just went through a crazy season, and you're at the end of it, and you're going, what now? You just went through a joyful, fun, exuberant, awesome moment, and you're at the end of it going, what now? Maybe you lost your job. What now? Maybe you have a devastating illness in your family. What now? Maybe you just found out you're pregnant. What now? Maybe your life is in complete shambles. What now? Maybe you watched the presidential debate this week. What now? Maybe you're going through an ugly divorce. Maybe you're going through a relationship where you had been abused for a really long time. What now? Maybe your church has just exploded with chaos and sin and drama. What now? Sound familiar? Maybe you're depressed. What now? Maybe you're stuck in sin. What now? You know, it's a question we all ask and we all face several times in our life. Let's be real. We face it all the time. You know, the disciples, the people in this passage, they were dumbfounded. And they were standing there and they were saying, what now? If those two men in white hadn't come and said, go, I bet you they'd still be standing there. (laughs) So they left. They walked. And I'm sure they were still thinking, what now? And I bet you as they walked and they were talking and they're going back and forth, they said, what now? What do you think is going to happen now? You know, if it was me, I'd be walking, I'd be thinking of every little thing that could come up and happen, and I'd be trying to have an answer for it, and I'd be going and going, and I'd be driving my brain crazy, and I'd still be in the back of my mind going, what now? The cool thing is, the scripture is really, really clear. See, they relied on God for the answer. They didn't know the answer of what now. They didn't even barely understand the question. But they did know the God who did. Let me, let me read verses 13 and 14 to you. And it says, <clears throat> And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. This was around 120 people. And what did they do? It's really clear in verse 14. 
all these with one accord devoted themselves to prayer. And I don't just mean, hey, God, that was so cool to see you go up in the clouds. That was awesome. And we have no idea what to do right now. Lord, help us with that. Okay, amen. Wrong. (laughs) They devoted. They agonized. They waited. They persisted in prayer. You know, in verse 15, it starts with these words, in those days. And this led many to believe, scholars and many, that they devoted themselves to roughly 10 days of prayer. Did you hear that? 10 days. Man, don't you wish you had enough self-control or the ability or the willpower to pray for 10 days? I struggle with 15 minutes staying focused, right? Let's be honest. I think there's a few key things in the response that we have to examine this morning. So number one, they were sold out to God. Who prays for 10 days if you're not deeply committed to him? You know, I can imagine them falling asleep, and they woke back up, and they just kept going. They just kept praying. It says they were constant. And I'm sure someone had to go grab food and make it and bring it back, and they ate, and they just kept going. They just kept praying. Someone probably had to get up and use the restroom, and they kept going. They kept praying. See, they knew that God had the answer. And they knew that all they could do was rely and be sold out to God for the answer. Number two, their prayer was not a monologue with God. It was a dialogue with God. You know, in our busyness, in our craziness of life, how often do we just speak at God. How often do we just ask for things? How often is our prayer to make us comfortable or safe or happy? You know, I have this picture of God sitting there and me just talking. God, thanks for another day. I'm stressed today. I'm worried about what I might face at work. The negativity is pretty overwhelming. The situations are intense. I really don't feel good. My health is failing. My kids and my wife, uh, they're not so great. My friendships are gone. I'm in agony. I need your help. I need your peace. I need your love. I need your grace. And on and on and on and on. All the while, God is sitting there going, but, well, but, I can't, you, see, I'm treating prayer, I think it's safe to say we treat prayer like a brain and heart dump many times. Are you listening? Are you allowing God to speak to you? Are you quiet enough to hear his voice? You know, it's okay to cry out to God. It's okay to bring your requests. It's okay to praise him with all that you are. But are you the only one speaking? You know, this, this brings me to a story of a lady called, uh, her name was Corrie Ten Boom. And um, she lived in the time of Hitler and World War II. 
And uh, if you know about her, a lot of people know about her. She's, she's amazing. She was an amazing follower of Jesus. And, and she, uh, knowing all the atrocities that were happening to the Jewish people, she decided that she was going to stand up and she was going to hide Jewish people in her home for safety. And so she did it. And somehow it got out to the Nazis and the Nazis found out, and they came into her house, and they searched every little thing. And I think I remember they were behind a bookshelf in an area of a wall they had cut out and made a fake wall. And they found them. And they took that whole Jewish family and Corey Temboon and her family to a concentration camp. Really, a death camp. She was separated from her family. People were disappearing She was diseased. She was freezing in the dead of winter. The smokestacks around were billowing with the smoke of her friends and family being discarded. And yet, she had a relationship with God that was amazing. She had a prayer life with God that was astounding. She trusted. She prayed. She knew that God would hear her and answer her in due time. You know, Corey Ten Boom has many famous, famous quotes. Let me just share a couple of them with you, because if you ever get an afternoon and some free time, go check them out. They're, every single one of them is unbelievable. But here's just a couple of my favorites. If the devil can't make us bad, he will make us busy. Ouch. Don't bother to give God instructions, just report for duty. But my favorite is when she's speaking on prayer. Remember, she was in the worst situation possible. I don't think any of us can fathom that situation. And her quote on prayer through the entire ordeal was this, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? You know, what an amazing quote from a lady who really could have needed a spare tire at that time, right? Corey Temboom knew that her relationship and her prayer life needed to be a dialogue so that it could steer her and not just be the backup plan for her life. Are you giving space to God to speak life, breath, and truth into you? You know, many times it comes through Scripture. It can come through the words of another. It can be a persistent thought in your head that you've tested with the Word of God. It often is subtle and quiet. Be quiet. Listen. Dialogue with God. Number three, they waited. Like I said, they did this for potentially 10 days, 10 long days. Let's be honest. We don't even like standing and waiting in the grocery store line, do we? No. And they did this for 10 days. And what does that show us about these men and women? They were devoted. Why? Because they believed God would answer them that he would be faithful to hear their cry and answer. When? They had no clue. But that didn't matter. They did know that he would answer. So now we come to verse 15 to 23, and I'm going to read those to you. 
and says in 15, In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who had accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. So Peter stood up and spoke. It was clear he had heard from God. You know, let's, let's talk about Peter's past for a second. This is a man who started out as a fisherman. He was rough. He was dirty. He was probably even foul-mouthed. He was bold, but he was often really wrong in his boldness. This was the same man that denied Jesus three times. He's a mess. But he heard, and he stood, and he spoke. We have to replace the 12th disciple. And how did he know that answer? He was dialoguing with God. My thought is that God brought this to his head, the scripture from Psalms that had been written so many years ago. It's now a prophecy that was now going to be completed. Who devoted themselves for so long to hear something so subtle that ultimately gave an answer to a group of 120 people in confusion that would change the world? Peter. But... Ultimately, who answered it in a still, quiet way? God. So what did they do with this new information? They acted on it immediately. See, they knew that God had answered through Peter. They didn't hesitate. They didn't wait around. They were confident when they started that God would answer. And when he did, they acted. No one said, let me think about it for a while, or, you know, let me think about what the outcomes of that decision might be. No, they acted. And I love how God ties this whole story together. They need to replace Judas. Remember, Judas is the one who betrayed Christ. You know, God's choices in leaders, it's usually not what we would pick, is it? Nope. Listen to this. Why is that? Isaiah 55, 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. He thinks higher than you and I do. 
And 1 Samuel 16, 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. He looks at the heart, not the appearance. We typically, I typically can't get past what we see, but God sees what we cannot. You know, there's a a gentleman, his name is Dick Brogdon, and he um, wrote a book, it's called Live Dead Joy, and he's a missionary to Muslims in Cairo, Egypt. And he has this unbelievable quote I'm going to read to you on leadership selection uh, with God. Listen to this, It's, it's really profound. In Jesus, leadership selection is more about God than man. Human leadership selects the one who best reflects the human group. In spiritual leadership, God selects the unexpected person and shapes that individual to reflect the divine nature. God puts the most unlikely people in authority and then gives them what they need to lead well. If you have been chosen to lead through a God-honoring process, it is probably because you have a significant liability. And the Lord desires to reveal his greatness in your smallness. Leadership appointment should always humble us. You know, there's two things in that quote that just zing me every time. Number one, you know, it talks about if you're chosen to lead through a God-honoring, keyword here, process. I think God cares about our actions through the process more than he does the final outcome. And number two, the fact that he would choose the smallest of person to show his greatness. So according to our passage, what is the only qualification of the next person to be the 12th disciple? That person had to have been with Jesus. They needed to have been there when John was baptized and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They had to be witness to his miracles. They had to be taught. They had to see his death, experience the pain of following him. They had to witness his resurrection. And finally, they needed to see him go up in the clouds to his ascension into heaven. This qualification really wasn't for someone who could say, I met him once, or, yeah, I checked him out for a while, cool guy, or, yeah, I shook his hand. No, it had to be for someone who had been with Jesus. So there's two men who fit that ticket, Joseph and Matthias. Think about this. These men were present at all of those epic, life-changing, amazing, powerful events. And guess what? They weren't even a part of the 12. They had devotion. They witnessed and watched and stayed without fame, notoriety of being part of the 12. You know, in my mind, it probably they were 
terrified when their names came up, right? I would be, yes, I witnessed that, but that's a major role. Or, my life is not a testify to the resurrection of the Savior only? I bet they were terrified and excited. They might have even said in their heart, what now? You know, the chapter concludes with how they decided what person would fill this role. They cast lots. What? Wait, wait, what? They cast lots? They gambled on this amazing, important decision? That makes no sense. That's not really biblical, right? Gambling? Mm -mm. It's like the end of a really bad movie plot. All this excitement and now this? No. See, they were so confident in their God. They knew if they prayed and cast lots that the one who knows all hearts would answer for them. They gave God the final word. They trusted and believed wholeheartedly that their God knew the answer and would deliver it. You know, casting lots was a way to determine many things in the Jewish customs. But what they ultimately were saying is, God, you know the answer, so tell us. There wasn't doubt when the lot fell on Matthias. It was done. God had answered. See, they had been with Jesus. They were dialoguing with Jesus. They constantly devoted themselves to him, and they heard him. This time it was through prayer, but there are many ways to be with Jesus, right? Prayer, scripture, serving, worship, fellowship. What one thing could you change this week to be with Jesus? You know, um, as I conclude this morning, let me, let me share with you a story about a middle-aged man. <laughs> um, there was this guy, and he was working in a great corporate job. It was exciting. It was fun. He was making money. He was touring the world. He was living large, but he felt like ministry was his next step. And so he left all that he had done to seek out what he felt God had called him to do. He started at one church, and that was intense, to say the least. He walked into another church, and this was a new job that he was confident God had placed in his path. His best friend was on staff. His mentor was the pastor. His friends were there. His family was nearby. The talk of the future in ministry was always in the forefront and exciting. And then, one by one, God removed each piece of comfort and peace out of his life. His mentor, his best friends, friends, they left his family. Family moved away. It was an ugly situation. And what did he do? He asked, what now? He sat there and he asked, what now? The difference is, he fought God. He helped God 
with what was next. He decided he would interview all over, corporate, churches, parachurch organizations, out of state, in state, far away, close by. He kept saying, what now? He kept talking and talking and talking and talking. Did he listen? Nope. He was too busy telling God the answer. Till one day, he had decided to take his last interview trip with his wife to Florida. It was a done deal. There were real estate tours. There were new friends being made, schools being visited. Moving plans were totally in action. They came home, and they waited for the final offer that had been promised to them. And Monday came, and the phone rang. And it was the company with the final offer. And lo and behold, they said they had a change of heart. And they felt God was wanting them to wait. What? Are you kidding me? They had been asking what now. They had been talking to God about what now. Searching after God in the midst of the craziness. This had to be wrong. Nope. It was right. See, that young man, that follower of Jesus did one thing really wrong during that time. He talked with God. He begged God. But he, but I, didn't shut up and let God speak. Instead, I told him what was next. Until the day Lisa and I wholeheartedly surrendered to what we knew God was saying. Stay. It didn't make sense. <laughs> I'm in the hospital every month with life-threatening diabetic issues. My health and my weight, they're completely out of control. My family, it's a mess. I'm an extrovert, and I was scared of people. The church wasn't doing well, and many people, honestly, would attack us day in and day out. But God said, stay. We finally listened and look at what God has done and is doing. You know, listening to God allowed us allowed me to be partnered with someone that I fit better with than anything my small mind could comprehend. That's Frank. Who would have thought, right? It allowed me to lead an amazing staff who I love and cherish and adore. It allowed us to be with a church body that I care so deeply about. It allowed me to have new and meaningful relationships. But honestly, the best it allowed Lisa and I to see God's hand at work. All because I shut up and finally listened. So maybe you're there this morning. Maybe you're in a situation and you're stuck and you're saying, what now? Maybe you're talking to God so much that you can't hear his response. Maybe you need to give God the final word. You know, it brings me um, 
to this What If series, which I just absolutely adore. Listen to these what ifs. What if we devoted ourselves to God? What if we dialogued with Jesus constantly? What if we gave God the final word? And what if this church, we, the people, were known to have been with Jesus? It's priorities. If you start by being with Jesus, the rest follows. Devote yourself today to being with the creator of the universe. Devote yourself to being in communion with God. This is a God who wants to be with you. You know, revival, revival starts right here in your own heart. Revival doesn't happen unless revival starts right here. Imagine the outcome. Let's pray. Well, Lord, here we are. We're broken people. We're people who are constantly asking what now or what's next or what do I do? We're always wanting the next answer. Lord, help us to strive to be with you. Help us to intentionally put you first in our lives. Help us today to think of the one thing that we can walk out and do differently this week to be with you. Lord, you know the outcome, but imagine if this body of believers, get choked up saying it, imagine if we were have known to have been with Jesus. Nothing else. See, if we're with Jesus, the rest will follow. Lord, we love you. Change us. Help us to be with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.